0: Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Puzzling Company. It is your host, Zach, and always with me is... He left the channel. (laughs) Okay, I want this to stay in because that's fantastic. Uh, Well, uh, my other host is now here with me. Would you like to introduce yourself?
2: I totally hit the disconnect button trying to unmute myself. Oh, man. That That is a microcosm of life right now for me. It is not... Anywhere where I want it to be, there's a lot of bad going on,
1: but we continue, we press on, and here we are today. That's right. Well, Jared, I'm glad you're here with me. Um, that that was a fantastic way to start the episode, but we're going to kind of move on uh, to what we're going to be talking about on this episode. This episode is going to be covering Gumshoe Box. We're very excited to kind of get into it. We'll see you guys in a little bit.
2: Zach, I'm I'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night. Are you okay?
1: I'm fine. But Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night.
2: Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight,
1: (sighs) exclamation point. Jared, that's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All their games follow really cool narratives about real-life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it's called Break In? Yes, it's Breaking In, not Breaking Out. I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We're now in our first section. Uh, In this section, we kind of discuss our likes as well as rooms for improvements for the game that we have on the show. This is not a part for us to just really dog on a game or to make any like really horrible comments. Obviously Uh, we want the games to be just as well or better than other games we played before. Uh, So we obviously put our love into trying to critique it as well as we can. Uh, And it's also just our personal opinion. So we might be wrong in your eyes and that's okay. But Jared, could you tell us a little bit about paperback plagiarism from gumshoe box?
2: Yes, this is the first installment from a couple of enthusiasts gone creators and in this first installment it's a pretty fairly simple gameplay it feels very similar to a lot of subscription boxes that we have played in terms of game flow but it is just a one-off game and i think based on our conversations we had with them they're just going to continue making more games like this that will just be one-off purchasable experiences but there was a lot of newness a lot of coolness about this game as we're going to talk about as I want to jump us into the first section and talking about what we really liked about this game and pretty much I think the ultimate highlight of this game is the system in which it is put in. This game houses a really tight, really great format, online format that you are working through and it is one web page. You don't refresh, you don't jump to different web page. And it has just a lot of different features that make it uh, hopefully a a format that a lot of people start using in the future because we've never experienced anything this fluid user interface experience, like easily one of the best user interfaces that we've had. And I know, Zach, you want to talk about like one of the specific ways that that played out uh, in one of the other things that we like. So I'll throw it back to you.
1: So yeah, we really liked the digital format and kind of the system that was at play. And one of the things we really liked about that format was that there's actually a sense or a visual view of the level of completion you have in the game. So what that means is that on the left side of the system when you're playing the game, it clearly shows you how far you've got into the game and how much is left. You see kind of like these bars that are gray start lighting up when you start getting puzzles done. So you clearly know like, okay, we've done you know, three puzzles and we, looks like we have, you know, seven left or we've completed 25%. Now we have the other 75% to go. And it really felt nice. Cause I knew exactly where we were in the game all the time. So we, we had like a good sense of like time and urgency with our puzzling. Cause sometimes when you just have the timer, you're not sure what your end goal is. So you kind of just start trying to beat the timer and that's a lot of fun, but it actually felt really good to clearly be like, okay, we're on pace. Like we're going to solve this and not have to have any issues, you know? And then later on, like if we're struggling, we're like, Oh crap, we have 10 minutes left and we have three puzzles left. Uh, I don't know how difficult or easy these will be. So then you have that urgency of doing better and they're all great. Uh, Jared, what was kind of another thing we really liked about the system and everything like that?
2: Just to address your point, it's, this is something that I've like longed for in the escape room world for a really long time, because if you're, someone that plays escape rooms a lot like we do and you're just destroying a room i would love to know that so i could just slow down and take in more and enjoy more of what it's going on but at the same time if you're behind the flow then oh we need to pick up we probably need to use more hints it's a system i wish we saw more and saw it more organically in escape rooms But it feeds into the last thing that I wanted to talk about with this user interface and this digital format that they use for a physical game. And that is the hints are integrated into the system as well. The story element is integrated into the system as well. Imagine this beautiful box that has everything that you can want in it to help you play this game organized and well. It was fantastic to get to interact with all of those different things in the same screen. And it really just streamlined the process for us. The hints were tiered, they made sense. It all really flowed and gelled with what they have going online. And and like I said, that that system, we've never seen anything like it. It was so fluid and it was really the highlight of the experience for me.
1: Agreed, Uh, we had a really good time with it. Definitely made the experience go pretty well. So we're going to kind of move on now to the parts that we thought kind of needed room for improvement. Like I said, this is not meant to dog anything or anything like that. This is just our personal opinion and kind of things that we thought could be worked on or maybe looked at for future installments. So kind of the first thing we're going to move on into is going to be the onboarding experience when it comes to Gumshoe Box. When we first played it, we felt that the onboarding was very, was not there. It felt like when we opened the box and we went to the website and set it up, we had no idea what to do first. We were kind of just really stuck. We spent like three, four minutes literally just trying to figure out what we would need it to do. And it, it was very frustrating because it felt like how we did when we originally played Scarlet Envelope the very first time. And that's kind of like my biggest comparison or like another one I could look at. You know, was I was like, okay, I opened this thing and I really have no idea what to do. I'm like, cool, this is going to go great. And we went through it and we eventually found our way through the game, of course. But one of the things that I really wanted to discuss more about it that we looked at afterwards was kind of a credit to them and kind of a thing that we do. So one of our processes that we do with games is, you know, we play the game and we'll talk about it a good bit once we finish. But one of the things we really like to do is if we're not super sure about how we feel. We wait a day, we think about it a lot, and then we come back the next day and discuss it. And one of the things that I, I really found after a day of waiting and looking at the game more was that it did have an actual phrase or wording to help you kind of figure out your first puzzle. And it was pretty clear, like, once we realized that connection. But when we played it, we didn't see that. And I think that's a really good thing to discuss because, you know, just like anyone else, we make mistakes. And it, and it's hard, you know, because sometimes you read a lot of information and you're like, okay, I've read all this, and you miss that, like, one wording that would tell you, Hey, look at this. And we did. And so we had like an experience where we felt like we were missing a lot, and when we looked back, we found that there was more to it. And so that's definitely a props to them that there was some more wording. It doesn't mean that the onboarding is as good as, you know, some other games where they give you like a whole puzzle to work on the onboarding and understand how their system works. But to their credit, there is something that clearly tells you here's your starting letter. This is what you should kind of look at.
2: And it it is hard because in every game, unless you're giving a super clear starting point, Mm -hmm. a lot of games leave you to wander around a little bit at the beginning. And even when we did go back and realize that we did miss a very, what I would call a small signpost to get us some momentum in the game, in our opinion, is you give us a freebie at the beginning, set us off in the right direction, give us at least something. And we were wrong, I I wanna be clear about that. Like We were very confused, we had missed some small wording, but I'm a big proponent in right off the bat, give us some runway, give us that trailhead, give us a win early so that our expectations are set, we get a taste of what to expect, and then we move forward. You never wanna start a game with any type of uncertainty or with a bad taste in your mouth because it's gonna taint the rest of the experience. If you give players a free win right at the beginning, a simple puzzle, something that's obvious. I think that's what was so hard about this is this was not obvious. Mm -hmm. And even if we had made the connection, that even the puzzle itself was a little, okay, like could have used a little more context within that setting. And that really transitioned us into the rest of the game, which our our, uh, second two critiques here are gonna feed off of that onboarding. Because the second thing that I felt like, Zach, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is The puzzling felt really scattered throughout the game because we didn't know what to expect from the puzzling based on the onboarding that we did get there was a letter at the beginning said hey you'll need a computer, but what we came to find out as we moved through the puzzling was sometimes the experience was self-contained, and sometimes the experience was not self-contained. You needed to finish puzzles that, in our opinion, required outside information that was above and beyond the average person. We did not know that you needed to reference earlier puzzles. There was no guidance on how to handle information that was already used. Other games that we have played have been very clear to say like, hey, once you solve a puzzle, that material is done. Others have said, hey, once you use a puzzle, hold on to that bad boy. You may need that information in the future. There was no guidance on that in this game. And as a result, we put stuff to the side and then only after struggling and using hints, realized that we needed to bring it back. I think a clearer picture of how the game format and function plays was needed at the beginning to help the user. Because as I think you're gonna talk about, I didn't have a problem with the puzzles themselves they were fine, but the experience and the flow felt very scattered and blocked because we didn't know how to handle this. Is it more like an escape room? Is it more like a puzzle hunt? Am I allowed to still use that? Am I doing this in vain? There were a lot of questions that could have been answered on the front end to smoothen and make that in the gameplay more enjoyable.
1: No, I completely agree. It definitely felt like it needed boundaries or a more clear definition of what that boundary is, because we did go everywhere. There was definitely elements of the game that felt like a puzzle hunt. There were ones where it was like escape roomy. So, you know, you, you made very good notes of how we felt. And then kind of moving on to another thing that we found was it kind of goes with the puzzling is the theming. And I would say scattered theming. There was a few puzzles that we ran into that the theming really just did not match the rest of the game. And what we mean by that is that this game covers... Essentially, this author having a party for posting a book and kind of celebration. And news comes out that they've actually plagiarized the work. And essentially, someone accuses them of something that they haven't actually done. And then you're all at this party, but we know it's clearly someone there. So then the whole game is basically almost like a clue type of game where you're trying to figure out why someone would do it and who. But you kind of do it through each of the different steps you're kind of figuring out people have more ties to the author, like if they're family members or uh, another author's there that could have maybe tried to sabotage them, so on and so forth. And then the game goes on and you get the reveal at the end of what happened. But with that, a lot of the theming is book-related or different types of writing material. But then we ran into like one or two specific puzzles that the theming just didn't go with it, like at all. In terms of like a lot of it was like party-based themes, so there's a bunch of like different signs and wine bottles and books. But then we ran into like an ex- a specific puzzle I'll cover is a crossword puzzle, right? It is just a crossword puzzle in the middle of the whole thing. Now you can make arguments that it kind of goes with the writing and stuff like that, but it it felt very out of the ordinary with in terms of the other material we messed with and saw. And then there's also a Scrabble piece puzzle that we ran into that also felt that way. Where we look back, they're good puzzles. But they just felt really off compared to the other like material and stuff that we were playing with, and I was like, okay. And really, the words are or the like crossword puzzle one was like the biggest one, I think, in my opinion. But uh, no, I, we really like the puzzles, but it just felt like because of some of the things earlier on, and kind of our expectations of what the game really is supposed to play like and what it, you're supposed to do, it just felt scattered.
2: Yeah, it, it did. It it was. Hard because we made this same comment last episode when we were talking about Space core was the only thing we really said is hey we want to see some better puzzle types and see them meshed into the world that you built a little bit better puzzle masking if you will and it feels like Sudoku's crossword puzzles these are great puzzles right like no one there are millions of people across the world that do crossword puzzles and Sudokus and they're enjoyable in their own world, but they don't make a whole lot of sense in the worlds that are being built, that we are playing in there. They kind of stick out like a sore thumb. And the Scrabble one, the same thing. It felt like this is a really great concept. Like the puzzle was very clever, but it felt shoehorned in. It felt like they were like, this is a good puzzle. How can we make it work within the narrative because it's a good puzzle? And I think if you listen to any length of our podcast, the narrative has to be the driving force if you're trying to tell a story through your game, which this one was trying to tell us a story. So just very similar to Scarlet Envelope, which you brought up, like the first one just felt rough. And I know, shout out to Scarlet Envelope, that they've made massive changes in that first envelope since we played it and reviewed it. And I think that's what I would throw out to uh, the creators that we're gonna have on in a couple sections is, the foundation of what is in this game is good. It just needs some tweaks it needs some a couple of puzzle reworks. And then if you make even like a, a decent to good game after that and partner it with this system, this is so this becomes so new player friendly in my book and you know how I feel about new pr- player friendly games. It's what I want. it's what I enjoy. it's what I want to play. it's what I want to see out in the public so that we can get more people feeling, Involved and that these games are approachable and doable, so that they can mm-hmm. play some of the other really cool stuff out is out there and play it. But yeah, I think a couple reworks in this and this becomes a game that we can very easily recommend to new players.
1: Yeah, and overall, we we really enjoyed this game. Definitely a lot of really good things to take away from it and things that we're excited to see in the future. But also, you know, a little bit of reworks or touch ups, and I think uh, future installments of Gumshoe Box could be fantastic. Well, that's going to wrap up our first section. Come back with us here in a little bit when we get to Puzzles to the People.
0: Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People.
1: Hey, Zach. Jared, I'm not falling for this again. Oh, so what? Now you don't trust me? Correct. I don't trust you.
2: Well, then do I have a game for you? What are you talking about? Floor 13 from CU Adventures. It's the story of a company with too much trust.
1: But I don't trust you.
2: Well, Zach, trust me on this. You need to head on over to CUAdventures.com and play Floor 13 or their other game, The Lost Temple, and you will not be disappointed.
1: Welcome back, guys, to Puzzling Company. We are now in the second section that is called Puzzles to the People. In this section, as I say every week when I do this intro, Jared surprises me. I feel as if I'm always throwing a curveball on what we're going to discuss. Generally, what this section does is that we discuss a topic that is involved with the game or we kind of cover different reviews that people have left about the game on like social medias or on, you know, Amazon, wherever you can purchase the game and kind of discuss them and see if I agree or disagree. But generally, Jared will ask me a question that is involving a certain subject and then I will answer first and then we kind of just have a back and forth on different topics until we get to the end. Jared, what do you got for me today?
2: So what I've been thinking about and coming up with some questions for you, Zach, is really got me going based on, again, the digital system that was implemented into this game. What was cool about it is it allowed you to do multiple different inputs while staying on the same page. Multiple solve inputs is what I mean. And what I mean by solve input is in an escape room, a four digit lock, those are your inputs to solve the puzzle, to get to the next step. So I really want to spend some time today talking about what solve inputs look like in our world. How are they playing into immersion, story, and just our overall experience with these type of games? Because it was really interesting today to see kind of like a lock that could fit just about anything, right? Like throughout the game, we, we solved a number of different inputs and we've seen some really cool uses of that throughout some of the games that we have played what have been some of your favorite puzzle solving inputs as throughout the games that we have gotten through
1: yeah so i think some of my favorites i'll cover specific companies styles that i really liked so the first one i'm going to cover is actually society of curiosities answering input or answering mechanic, solve mechanic uh, for them it is a you basically when you go on these field missions with your team, uh, they kind of, you have like a text conversation with them. And so it's really nice to feel like that immersion really plays in that when we have an answer, I text them the answer and then they're like, great, well, we found this. And then we discuss things and then they basically give us the next puzzle. And that felt really authentic, you know, cause it feels like we're there. We're clearly messaging them like, Hey, this is what we found. We need you to go look and see if it's there. And that felt really good because you could put any answer we wanted there. it was just a text. so we were like, okay, location or number, so on and so forth. and they had some digital aspects that really played in that as well, like online. And then the game we talked about last week, Space Corp, I really liked their solving mechanic of the the private chat or the direct messaging chat that you have with Charlie as the game goes on because that's another clear way of feeling that immersion of I'm having a conversation with someone. And it lets me feel authentically, tell them whatever I need to tell them as the solve mechanic. And then it lets it work. Or there is other solve mechanics on that website that is like, okay, we need a code to break into the secret part of the website or hack in. And those felt pretty authentic so that it didn't feel like I was putting in just a random set of numbers somewhere on a website that just says password is this, you know, I fairly clearly was like, okay, I'm hacking into this system. I need to know a specific four digit code. I had it felt really good. And then in this game, you know, because we're discussing it, it felt really nice to have a very clear system that was like, this is where you're going to put your answers in. Even though in terms of narrative, as well as like, it's not like a Society of Curiosities or Space Corp, but it felt really nice that it was very clear and the game pretty much tells you this is where you're putting your answer in. You know, there's no like questioning of like, okay, I need to put it here or not. And they made a good job of making sure, like when you're on the puzzle, this is the answer you're looking for. It's a four-digit code, or it's a word, or whatever you needed, and that felt great. Like it didn't have to be the most like immersive in terms of presenting or giving you a solve mechanic that goes, okay, I'm the most immersed in this system, but it's presentable and very friendly. So I knew always that it would go there.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you, and I want to bring up a couple of other ones that have been on games that we haven't had on the show yet. But I totally agree with you on the Society of Curiosities and Space Corp. Those have been some of the most immersive and enjoyable ways of presenting solutions to puzzles to move the game forward. I totally agree with you. The other ones that really are highlighted in my mind are, think of any of the exit games or any break-in even though the break-in one I still think needs a little tweaking to it, mm. I love the uniqueness of those. Even the one that we saw in uh, the Dollhouse game that had that great little switch so those you really, can see and guess the answer.
1: Those ciphers. Mo- a lot cyphers, of the games with the yes. cipher system are pretty well done. They're, they're a lot of fun, and they're unique to their game, so it doesn't feel like you're just answering a cipher, which, I mean, you are doing a cipher, but they're all very different from each other, so it doesn't feel like I'm, like, I play an exit game and then I play, you know, a cursed dollhouse. I felt like I was doing the exact same cypher. Like they copy and paste of the same thing. They're very clearly different in a lot of ways. The answers you're looking for are completely different. How the cypher actually works is different and they're unique because then, like you said, there's a, that element of it's a cypher, which is fun to mess with and kind of get it to work. And that's like its own puzzle, which is fun but also they generally the ones we've played or maybe haven't even covered on the show they're very thematic like they really fit into the theme it doesn't feel like okay here's this really creepy dollhouse room and then here's a normal cipher and you're like okay that's weird okay it's it's cool i guess cuz it's a cipher so that's fun but like doesn't really play into this at all or make it feel any more immersive in terms of theming but then you know a lot of the ones you're discussing are fantastic in that department
2: Totally agree. Like the inputs aren't always as organic and immersive as they could be, but it's unique enough to where it almost becomes a little bit of a puzzle in itself. And it's, it just kind of standouts. Some of the other ones that I think through are, if you're familiar with the unlock series, I love, especially in some of their later games, the machines that you have to use Mm -hmm. and some of the augmented reality technology that they're starting to integrate Those are really cool solves for me, and I want to see more of those in their games. Some of the other ones that I think of are I think of unique digital elements, like in some of the Scarlet Envelope series, as well as I'm thinking, like, if you remember a certain uh, food-based web solve in Conspiracy 19 that we enjoyed, that was a lot of fun, but what i what i struggle with and i'm interested this is part 2 what i struggle with is just either this you need give me a number give me a four digit number that doesn't thematically make sense we're just solving to get a four digit number and put that in on the web page or open your next envelope that's not very engaging it's simple it's approachable, which I appreciate, but it doesn't always feel like puzzle inputs in its highest form. Some of some of that is uh, frustrating to me. What is what are some of the inputs that you've seen that you haven't enjoyed that much?
1: Really the only ones I find really unfortunate are ones where it feels like it's a website just to be an answering document. Like you kind of just it has like an input, it's very basic, and that's really it. I think you can do that actually quite well with theming, with making the website kind of look authentic to the game. So like, you know, we've played some games where you're trying to help the police or like a detective. So you're using like the detective's website or like a database, like a police database to put in the answers. And that unlocks more information to do more with and you put more answers in there. And that looks great. Really, I think the only ones that really disappoint me are ones that are just feel like they don't fit into the rest of the game. I don't think it matters, honestly, the type of like solving mechanic if it really just feels like okay i'm playing the game and this is all normal and then i have to go to like a generic website and just put in a code or maybe a part of the game that comes with it that just goes okay check this then it doesn't feels good because i feel like like i jump out of the game to make sure i'm right and then i have to go back in when some websites do it way better and keep me thematically like filled into the game that when i'm jumping to like checking a solve mechanic Even if I'm wrong, it still keeps me thematically there instead of going to a website and it just goes like, okay, you're you're wrong. I'm like, cool. Now to try to jump back into the theming that's on the table and work on it and then go back to that and jump back and forth. And that kind of lessens my experience, unfortunately.
2: The other things that are kind of small that I struggle with with inputs is when I don't know how many inputs that I'm working with. Like when you tell me, It's gonna be a number. Well, is it gonna be a four digit number? Is it gonna be a six digit number? I like limited inputs versus an infinite amount of inputs. And I understand that messes with the complexity of what you are doing in a puzzle. But I think that's why like things like cryptexes are so engaging because it's limited. You know, it's gonna be four or five numbers and or letters long Mm -hmm. you can filter through those. But if you're solving a puzzle that's gonna have a numerical answer and you don't know that it's gonna be two digits, four digits, three digits, then that can be very difficult. I think back to when we played soup and we made the assumption that all of our answers because there was this running theme that all of our answers were gonna be this amount of digits. And then we got to a a puzzle that I think it was just a single digit was needed and it was not that, and and that threw us off big time. So I think always letting people know, I'll give a shout out to Escape Mail right here. Escape Mail, when you're looking through their opening little puzzle flow chart, it always lets you know, these are the items you need to solve the puzzle, and this is how many blanks it's gonna have to solve the puzzle. I think that's super helpful, I think that's great. I think people love that. If you have a reason not to do it, great, I'm not against that, but have a reason For not giving us how many inputs we're gonna have, not just, oh, we didn't think about that. Other things that are frustrating, I've heard people talk about before, and I know there's a more technical term for this, but it's when your answers or your inputs are not um, specific. Like, what's the word I'm looking for? Is that like when it's a capital letter versus a non capital letter?
1: Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I don't know the right terminology for that, but yeah, nothing feels more frustrating than like we get a code and then we realize that the first letter has to be capitalized. Or it isn't capitalized, but the word is like the word you find on the the document is capitalized, but when you put it in, it's wrong because it needs all
2: right. All, it's, all answers yeah. should not be case case sensitive.
1: Yes, that, agreed. That, that that is the most frustrating it, thing ever.
2: Even even if it is like explicitly like there's no need for it. Like we're looking for a number, we're looking for a name. Make it unilateral across yeah. all of that. Example of this is if you've ever used the Clue Keeper software, which is a great software oh. that is used for a lot of puzzle hunts. It only lets you input in capital letters. If you if you are on the back end on the user interface and you type it in, it doesn't matter. Like you have to give them a unilateral opportunity to answer it, so it doesn't matter. And I, I want to see more of that in games because I feel like those are some small errors in input mechanisms that are frustrating as well. All right, here's my next question for you. We often talk about on our show the intersections and the differences between some of the more crime themed games and then more of our escape room themes which can tend to be a little more sometimes fantasy sci-fi even more approachable like fun themes do you think one of those genres if we're going to say crime is one genre and everything else is another genre does inputs better
1: i if you're asking me to pick And you might not even be asking me specifically to pick. You're just saying you're asking a general question about it. I think the more fun themed, so like non-crime solving ones, I think do it better. I think because it lets people have a more... I think unfortunately when it comes to crime games, generally you are stuck to a mechanic that is... You're trying to solve the crime and you're working with... A lot of games we played, you're working with detectives or police... And so it feels like you are going to answer it no matter what to them generally. And it's kind of presented either in a a digital format or not. You know, you're like, okay, I've solved this. Now tell the officer this. And I do. And then next step happens. Um, Sometimes the creativity and way you can use like the words and how you hide clues can be fun. So that when you give them an answer, it feels pretty cool. Like, okay, I found this really hidden thing of a word of a person, and that might be important. So when we look at that person, they have more involved with the case. But unfortunately, I feel like the solve mechanic is kind of stuck at times to a certain format, as well as your solving is generally words, locations, things like that. There has been some pretty creative ones where you're like almost working, like the serial killer ones or ones where they give you puzzles to work with. So then that lets it have some creativity in terms of you're solving different things that aren't super related, but they end up mattering, right? Because at the end of the day, like when you solve all those, you get hints towards your overall objective, which is stopping the crime or solving the case. But with the more thematically, f- or I say thematically, like the more fun style. So like the at home escape room style, or like, you know, fantasy-esque themed ones. I think there's more to explore in terms of thematic answering keys. So like, You know, if you're doing like a fairy one, you could be talking, you know, or like a fantasy themed one, you could be answering it in by giving it to a certain person, the fantasy, like a wizard or something. And it could be a fun element of when you put in your solve mechanic, you have like, it does like a magic trick and you know, you see if it works or not, or you can use different words and numbers. It feels like you can use almost any input to make it thematically fit. As long as you give a good puzzle to fit with it. I guess my point is that I feel like crime solving, unfortunately ties itself down or hinders its, itself by staying inside the theme, if that makes sense.
2: I think I know where you're going with this, and I want to I wanna make a little bit of a dichotomy here. Each one of those crime versus non-crime games is doing one thing right that the other needs. So here's what I mean by that. I agree with you. Crime games, in terms of mechanisms, not in terms of the information, but in terms of the mechanisms, need better mechanisms for inputting the people, places, whatever that you are finding in these very, you know, crime-esque style deductive reasoning games, right? So the more that crime games can give us unique and fascinating ways to put those in, whether it's interacting with the serial killer and giving them something that they need, or with the police, give us a really cool online robust system where we're inputting all of this information. Crime games need to be more creative, in my opinion, in the mechanisms that you're gonna let us input our answers. I think that's across the board. I have not found a a crime game yet that I've been in love with how we've done that. Some of them have some good creative elements. There needs to be more creativity on that side. But in the crime world, the answers always make sense because they're so tied into the story, right? When have we ever solved something in a crime game that didn't drive the story forward, that wasn't organically and purposely supposed to be built there? It's it's what the entire genre is built upon. Find the information to prove who's guilty, to prove who's innocent, who is gonna, the, the serial killer is gonna get next. It always makes sense, it always makes sense. So now flip it, non crying games. I think are synonymous with having some of the best mechanisms for input. Why? Because, well, sometimes the information is a little more creative. It's a, Sometimes it's symbols, sometimes it's words, numbers. There's a host of different things that they're asking for, but the information to solve something doesn't always make sense. It's not always organic to the story. Mm-hmm. It is more difficult when you're not telling a crime story, in my opinion, to find inputs, information inputs, not mechanisms, information inputs that is like, why did we need that to go here? Like, why did the fairy need a four digit number in order for me to get into the magical forest? Like that doesn't make any sense. So what I think each need to do is look at the other to discover the missing pieces of the formula to move forward. And that's not true of all of the games. Some of our Damn. favorite games that we play do a phenomenal job of this, but if you're looking at your game and you're struggling, I think the other genre has the answer for you. Don't put a puzzle in there that is not gonna give an organic answer that we have to input, because that's an immersion breaker. In the crime world, you have so much more room to create cool mechanisms when we get the answer that we know that we're working for that already makes sense in the story. So I, that that is my opinion on this, just in thinking through these things is that's what I want to kind of see from each world moving forward. And I think they, the answer is sitting right next to them. My last question is just any last thoughts that you have on this, any other standouts that you were thinking through or just general philosophical thoughts that you have about the solving inputs that we have?
1: No, I don't think I have like a crazy more amount to add to the conversation. I think, uh, like you said, a lot of games, well, some of our favorite games do it perfectly, but I agree. I think how you phrased your last question and the answer to you know, or your response to mine, was very well done. I, that's exactly what I was kind of going at. Is that they're both just missing the other piece of the puzzle, and they clearly have it on the opposite side now, just to work on it and make it, you know, almost like both sides could have the perfect game. And that's great. I I'm very excited to see what games will do because as we've started playing more games, I've noticed more games are doing those elements. You know, they're, sometimes they're missing it, but you know, some of our complaints, you know, as an example, like not knowing your answering input like what you need, like if it's a four digit code agent, I think four out of the last five games we played have done that. They very clearly go, you need this, find it, you know, and then we find it and we put in that answer. And that's perfect because I ever since we made that comment, I was really thinking about all the games we've played and I think the more and more people have done that, they've realized that works because leaving it up, unless the game purposely wants you to leave it up for your interpretation to figure out how long or whatever the code is, you know, because it's supposed to be a more difficult puzzle or if it's like more of a puzzle hunt, where you really just have no idea to a degree until you start making the connections. That's fine. But in games that are supposed to be not puzzle hunty or more simple where it's just self-contained, I think making boundaries for people going like, this is what you should work on. This is the you know amount this is kind of the answer you're looking for, go for it. And then do it. And then I think that makes a great experience. That's for people who play lots of games or for new players or people who are still kind of newer into it to get a hold of.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I agree with you. And I'll I'll end this section, Zach, with something that uh, I heard at Recon. Everybody knows our good buddy, uh, Errol, Mm -hmm. who uh, (laughs) someone brought up. Errol is like Prince (laughs) or name any other single-named icon of an industry. He's just Errol. Like there's, there's, there's no point in even saying anymore. Errol was doing a session on puzzle boundaries in essence for first-time creators. And one of the things that he outright said at the beginning of his session is, there are a limited number of puzzle types. There, you If you discover a new puzzle type, that is very rare. We are working within a realm of things that have already been created. And that shouldn't limit us because what our job is now is to mask them, dress them up, put them in ways that people have never seen before. And I think the same is true now for our inputs. You're not gonna redefine and create some crazy awesome puzzle input, solve input mechanism. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for simplicity, fun user interface, and and I think sometimes just an investment in coming up with ways, both again, in information and mechanism that create immersion, that make us feel smooth from one puzzle into another and we don't have to step out. The information makes sense in the story. The mechanism is engaging and fun to play with as a form of solving the puzzle. So I don't want us to have to reinvent the wheel is what I'm trying to say is just get better and better and better at our craft.
1: Totally agree. Well, this is gonna wrap up our Puzzles to the People segment. Stick with us for questions for creators.
0: There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators.
1: All right, Zach,
2: pick a card, any card.
1: Dude, we are supposed to be doing an ad right now. Okay, I know, just just be cool, Zach. You know I always wanted to be a magician. I don't think this is the right time or medium for a magic trick. But okay, I've picked a card. Okay, Look at it, and don't tell me what it is. And how's the audience going to know what card this
2: is? Just, uh, just be cool, man. I just got this new Enigma's card
1: deck, and I just wanted to show you a new trick I've been working on. Oh, Jared. I'm sure your trick's going to be great, but there's something you don't know about that deck. (laughs) Okay.
2: I see what's happening. Uh
1: Uh-huh, yeah. Okay.
2: What? You think you're a better magician than me. You think you know more about this deck of cards than I do, You're trying to heckle me and usurp the great Jared Zini.
1: (sighs) Jared, Jared, Jared. Well, I did back the project on Kickstarter, and I've been playing the puzzle game hidden inside. There's actually a full puzzle hunt you can discover. I imagine you got those over at davidkwongmagic.com. Nice try, Zach, but a magician never
2: reveals his secrets. Magician's Code.
1: Well, if you're looking for an amazing experience from a real magician. I'm sitting right here. Then head over to davidkwongmagic.com and pick up Enigma's Puzzle Hunt playing cards. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is called Questions for Creators. This is a section that we get to talk to the amazing people who create the games. And sometimes we have people that aren't creators. And that's sometimes a lot of fun because we get different elements of you know, marketers or distribution, all that kind of jazz. But today we are getting to talk to the creators. So, Jared, would you like to talk about them a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited to talk about these creators because I think geographically they are the closest creators to us here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. They're about 15, 20 miles away from us. And that's cool. We actually wanted to have them be our First, people to do an in studio interview with, but obviously, with everything with COVID, and it's just not the right time for that. But may, hopefully, with future episodes they release, we can find a cool way to have our first live, everybody in the studio at the same time interview. But yeah, they're really close, local to us. Their names are, well, I'm not going to tell them your names. They're about, let's let them introduce themselves. You guys weren't here for this, but I almost introduced you without you being here, which is a no-no for us. So tell us who you guys are and a little bit about yourself and your game. I'm Bradley Gore, and uh, this is my wife.
0: Carolina.
3: And, um, you know, we, we've been longtime players of escape games, and we love them. And um, we kind of thought, well, it'd be cool to make our own thing. And we thought that rather than trying to start our own, like, big escape room thing cuz that's a lot of it's a lot more effort i feel like and a lot more skill set you have to have we could lean on some existing skill sets i'm i'm a software engineer uh by trade and my wife is um she is a stay-at-home mom but she's extremely creative uh very smart and so we felt like that we could come up with a storyline and some puzzles to fall into that storyline that would give somebody like kind of a um an interactive story or interactive um yeah, interactive story experience. And we actually um for the software side of it, we did a little bit of collaborations. So there's a, an escape game company out of Louisville, Kentucky that we kind of joined that we kind of know and we kind of joined up with. And we've collaborated with them a bit on the software. So they actually use the thing that I built kind of in the background is like an engine that you where you can like define your game and define the stages and the content for each stage and the answers, the answer types and that kind of stuff. And they actually use that as well. And they're they're going to be putting out. Um, they haven't released their first one yet, but they're going to be, um, I think, this year. COVID is kind of, as with kind of everybody, COVID's kind of jacked up a lot of their timelines and stuff as well. So that's kind of the where it all started, and kind of who we are. Um, aside from it, so the interactive story box thing, we kind of just do that in free time. But we are serious enough about it that that we enjoy doing it. We put a lot of effort and a lot of thought and a lot of um, trying different things and and just going over storylines and stuff you know in our in our spare time.
1: So, a question for you guys, how do you see your background and skill sets expressed in your games?
0: Well, I think um, at least on my side of it, um I homeschool our seven year old and we take him to escape games with us all the time. And so we're always looking for something to help kind of build those logic skills and work with him on that. And that's one thing we really wanted to incorporate in our boxes is more of a family-friendly box. Mm -hmm. We've done a lot of boxes that are murder mysteries and blood and gore, and we love them, but we wanted something we could sit down as a family and work together on more. Um, So for me, kind of from the teacher side of that, I like pulling Mm -hmm. that in, more of a family-friendly, Friendly option. Yeah. And then with you, I think more of the software definitely came into play with the app and everything.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, the software, I mean, definitely helps because I don't think we could have built near what we built without um, the software side of things. And then kind of having an analytical mindset is helpful because you're kind of thinking through things linearly and um, you're kind of, it helps with determining like the flow of things and you know does does this puzzle actually flow with the storyline or does it feel like you like got this information and now go do this totally hardly related puzzle to try just to move on you know it kind of helps with like determining flow and analyzing that stuff so it's helpful for sure um i I think that in in the end of it though creativity is creativity and the only the only way that i'm aware of to kind of like be creative is just to do it. You know what I mean? It's like writers, like you you sit down and write and like you throw away a thousand pages and you keep the one good page that you liked and use that with puzzles. I'm sure that as an escape room designer yourself, you've you trial and error concepts and you might spend time on this thing and think it's great. And then you, it comes to fruition. You think, Oh, nope, So that one goes over here and we, we start over and there's not a shortcut. There's not a, you know, there's not a, um, there's not a formula. And being a computer sci, you know, math nerd kind of like I wish there were, right? I could just be like, oh, let's create a formula, some variables, we plug in those variables and boom, we got a new great puzzle, but it just doesn't work that way. So even though you have some backgrounds that you would think would be like super helpful, I, I think it just comes down to putting in the work.
2: We really enjoyed the framework and user interface of the game. How did you come up with that concept?
3: So one thing for me, I'll say that, you tend to compensate for areas that you think you're weak at by showcasing the areas that you're strong at. I'm a software engineer. I mean, it's what I do. So I was like, okay, I can build a thing that has some really nice stuff baked into it. Um, and I wasn't certain, honestly, we had never done a, 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 an interactive like puzzle storyline like this before. So I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I know that we can at least make the experience kind of immersive on the technology side Because I've played the same things that you're talking about, where it's like, you go to type in the box and like, they hide the characters that you type, right? And that's a big, or for me, and I'm like, okay, like, it doesn't really make it more mysterious that I can't, that you put asterisks in the text field when I can't even see what I'm typing in like that. All that does is makes me angry if I make a typo and don't realize it, right? So there's things like that, that we've experienced that were pain points for us. And we were like, okay, we don't want to do this. We don't want to have it to where it refreshes when you go to get a clue. And I have to scroll all the way down the page now to see the clue. Um, and I really didn't want the thing of like, I've seen the accordions used where it's like, you have like eight clues and you expand one and expand the other. And you try to make sure you do that in order. And I was like, okay, I just want them to be able to click next clue. You know, just click the clue icon, get the next clue. and it, And it shows you them in order. And if you click and you run out of clues, it just tells you, here's the answer. Like there's no more clues, you know? So I
0: think we wanted something more immersive where you still felt like you were in the story because a lot of times we would go to a website and it's just black and white text and it's just filling the answer. And we try to make with the app, you know, a little more in line with the story. There's pictures, there's information there where you feel more like you're in a room where you're part of the game, you know, instead of just typing in your answer.
1: Right. When you guys are creating a game, what do you guys start with? Do you start with the story, puzzle idea, or something else?
0: For us, I think it starts with the story. I think um, we like a storyline to go with, and we build puzzles around that. And our story changes, of course, as we decide, oh, we really like this puzzle, let's add it in. But for us, we kind of have, we have a whole file of just story ideas that we want to build puzzles around. And I think... We like trying to pull something unique that, that isn't maybe seen all the time as far as, you know, not a murder mystery or not something that's just so such such the norm, I guess, that you get in a box, but we're trying to just come up with something different and a little more unique and family friendly.
3: The storyline definitely is, is, I would say, a starting point. Um, like this this box that we're working on now, this, this second box, there were a couple of puzzles, like the cards, you know, talking about, there were a couple of things that, kind of had in mind, like, this puzzle, this kind of concept would go really well with this theme. And we don't necessarily have that story yet. But we know that we want to do a story with this kind of theme, or or this kind of genre. And we have this kind of thing in mind. So I think that sometimes, I mean, I think there, again, it's just it's just the act of being creative, right? So you put in the work and you put in some time of churning through ideas and finding ideas that you like, ideas that you don't like and putting them in piles, mm-hmm. and your, your pieces of a story or a theme kind of trigger the generation or the ideas for some puzzles and then some of those come back and generate ideas that modify or enhance or even altogether um define your storyline so there is a lot of especially with the second box the first box it was storyline at first we had this story and we're like we think we can build some stuff around it this second box we're doing it's actually a little slightly bit of a different process i feel like and this is only the second one that we've done so i'm i don't know the, the third one might be a totally different process. I'm just finding it really interesting as we're going through this that it's not, like like we said earlier, it's not just a formula that you can just follow and, and repeat it every time.
2: What is the future for Gun Shoebox? Will we see more installments of a similar format? Do you have other big ideas? Tell us a little bit about what you got in store for us.
0: We definitely, we don't really see ourselves as a subscription service, um, but we do want to just offer you know, we'd love to get to maybe three, two, three boxes a year that we offer that are new. But one thing we are working on currently is putting paperback plagiarism, our first box, on an online-only version. So like a print and play. So users have that option because some people don't want to wait till they get the actual box, the tangible pieces. Yeah. So we're definitely looking at putting some online versions of, of boxes out there as well in the future.
3: Yeah. Um As far as the number of boxes I don't, I'm, we're trying not to kind of hold ourselves because this is kind of what we do in, in fun time and in spare time, we're trying not to just hold ourselves to putting something out there that we wouldn't be happy with. Like I'm, I'm really big on um, things making a lot of sense and things like having an answer. I don't like stories that are open-ended that, that are just like, um, well, it's this way just because I like to, if I come to the conclusion of a thing, I like to be like, okay, I totally see how we got here. I feel like even if I didn't solve it before, I before like the game kind of led me to the solution. I feel like I could have gotten there with what the game provided me. So, when we do like the 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 box number 2 that we're working on, it's not it's not a it's not a sequel of paperback plagiarism. It's all under the Gumshoe Box brand. That's the the brand that we have, but they're not related as far as like we're not continuing on with that story. We're working on a totally separate story. The cool thing with this one is that it does use that same engine that we talked about. So the, 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 stages and stuff will be, um, as far as like the way it's laid out will be the same, but all the content will be different. All the styling will be different, that kind of stuff, because we made this kind of generic engine that we can use to build those out. So that's, that's kind of fun to see that, that, that actually is working, you know? <laughs> um, cause like you, we did it with the first one and it's like, okay, we did it with one, but like, can we. Can we basically use the same tooling and create a second one? And does that actually work the way that we had planned it out? And and it's kind of nice to see that it did <laughs> So it far it does. This. <laughs> yeah.
1: And the thing we ask everyone, what are you guys currently playing? Is that, you know, it doesn't have to be an at-home tabletop game. Is it? Have you been playing some escape rooms? Have you been playing video games? What have you been up to? And what would you like us and other people to kind of check out?
0: I mean, as far as we do other escape boxes, we just recently did one, our first one, from Enigma Fellowship, and that was really cool. We really enjoyed that. But otherwise, I think in our downtime, we really like a lot of board games. We do Splendor and Carcassonne and things like that that are just, that's kind of relaxing for us. We like to just do, do some board games like that. Yeah. What, what are your favorites?
3: Yeah, I mean, Splendor and Carcassonne are definitely Probably our top two right now, but then right. there's also um code names that we yeah, that we've we played a lot of that's a great and there again, I mean that kind of keeps your logic um chops up, I feel like a game like like code names because um the way that it works is just such a clever such a good game. There's a lot of those that we like to do. Plus, you know, we we like to do family stuff as far as just, you know, have a cookout or or that kind of stuff as well. So it's not all about the games, but we do, we do a fair, a good, a fair bit of games in our downtime. And
0: we do, we like escape the crate boxes. We've done several of those. Yeah. Those are fun.
3: Yeah. And um, one one thing that I would add to anybody that would listen, um, don't be afraid to try to like build your own thing as well. And one thing I will say, if you do that, if you take the time to do that, you will gain a lot more respect for the people that do it. Sometimes it's a player of games. It's so easy to walk out of a room and be like, I didn't like that. That puzzle didn't make sense at all, or, the, or this, or this, or that, or the other. But then once you see it, because we've had feedback on both ends of the spectrum, right? We've had people say, this is too easy. People say, this is too hard. People say there was plenty of content. People say there weren't enough content. I don't know how to solve that. I don't know how to, how. To, I don't think it's possible to solve that. And um, I've talked to enough um, kind of in-store game designers that they would, they would say the same thing. And I think that as a consumer of that kind of stuff, trying to put out your own content, it gives you a whole new reality check. And it's also really interesting. It's really neat to go through the process. So, I mean, it's something that's more approachable than you would think. And I I would say, if you love to play things, give it a try to try to make things. It's
1: awesome. Bradley and Carolina. Thank you guys for being on the show. It was really a blast to have you guys on and kind of discuss what you guys have been working on as well as Gumshoe Box as a whole. Well, that's going to wrap up our episode of Puzzling Company. If you guys are interested in Gumshoe Box, you guys can look up their product at gumshoebox.com. That is gumshoebox.com. There you can see all the different products that they currently have as well as maybe potentially future products or even what they're about. If you guys want to support us, there's many different ways you can do that. One of the biggest things you can do is just put us on a regular download. If you're on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever, um, just put us on a regular download. That way you know every week when our new episode comes out. And if you've been enjoying the episodes, please leave us a review. Uh, Five-star reviews would be fantastic. You can just do those on any of those platforms as well. You can also find us on social media. You can find us at Puzzling Company on Instagram as well on Facebook. You can guys can check all our social media stuff there, as well as you can send us messages that way. If you want to talk to us about things you enjoyed on the show or just tell us what's up. And that's gonna wrap up this episode. Jared, what are we having on next week?
2: Next week is so exciting! So this is a game called the Vandermist Dossier. It is originally a game that was made just in Dutch. And due to its popularity, our creator that we're gonna have on next week made an English version, hired some professional translators and sent it to us kind of as like an early uh, version of it so that we could talk about it so that people now across the world that English is their primary language, they could pick this game up and play this. And what I'm hearing from a lot of other people, that it's a really fantastic game. So we're super excited to talk about it.
1: So next we will have the Vendemist dossier on the show. Um, we're very excited to play and get to discuss that here very shortly. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting us and listening to the episodes. This has been Puzzling Company for Jared and Zach. We'll see you guys.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling.